again to Club Pod. First live interview radio show slash podcast on Clubhouse. So I'm gonna nice. be this is this is the first one. And I'm You're good, ex- man. Yeah, I mean, I, exactly. I got the my old school road microphone that I interviewed Steve Olsher, and we'll talk about that in a second. Podcasting too. That's one of the reasons why we're bringing him on. He's launching a podcast. So my show talked about. I guess it was your book launch, Steve, or your or it was your radio show launch about eight or nine years ago. You came on my show. I got to find the link for that. So we have to like run that because that will give us some giggles because of just how we've connected and, you know, become good friends since we I started writing for podcast magazine. But I found it by just an opportunity. Now, just yeah. think how many people you would get now if you opened that opportunity up right now to write for Podcast right? Magazine. It's amazing. Yeah. Right place, yeah, right mean, time. Yeah. Right place, right time for sure. And, you know, reality is you guys are in the right place, right time uh, as well being here on Clubhouse. I mean, I really do feel like there's just a tremendous amount of opportunity for all of us in, in so many ways to develop real relationships with other people, to learn, uh, of course, from people that you would normally pay I mean, the people that I've been able to connect with here uh, on Clubhouse so far, it just it, it literally blows my mind. I mean, people that you wouldn't normally have access to it just seem to be here, enjoying it, hanging out. And, and, and I got to tell you, I think we're just really scratching the surface in terms of what's going to happen here uh, on the platform. You're just hanging out, having a good quality it's, time. It's, and actually, it's interesting. It's because, again, this is what it's interesting about Clubhouse. Something that is surprising is that they're just fans of yours, Steve. In the meantime, you know, Neil, I wanted to um, I wanted to ask you a question about uh, Neil, you know, the other Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson. So you actually had a chance to sit down with uh, with with Neil. What was it? Just a week ago or so? How long ago was that? No, it was just yesterday. And today I interviewed Robert Davi. Uh, from the Goonies and stuff about and, oh, wow. and the, yeah, so I, I get different celebrities all the time, and they're going to be coming to Club Pod, and I always have to invite you because I, if I didn't have the opportunity to uh, be part of Podcast Magazine, I would never have learned about Cl- Clubhouse and Club Pod, and I, I owe a lot to you, Steve, for telling me join. Thank you, yeah. thank you, but yeah, no, but Neil, the, it was just interesting. He in his new book has 10 questions to ask and it really just makes you think. I mean I mean and he made sure that based on his podcast, he knew that, you know, that the listeners really can't always provide feedback in his podcast and they basically came up with questions. He came up with questions based on the podcast people that sent um, messages into him about the podcast, questions about how do we become all these different really interesting questions and uh that's how he came up with it and see he's the first neil i've ever interviewed by the way so that was kind of funny neil and neil that's kind of funny so wait so how did you connect then because neil degrasse tyson and by the way we we gotta buy you i know what i'm buying you for your birthday by the way you know what i'm buying you for your birthday what a nine volt battery because clearly you've got a smoke detector that is mad at you so we're gonna buy you a nine volt battery that's 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 my gift to you i will send you a, a set of nine volts but um Neil deGrasse Tyson, how how did you connect? Like that's that's an A level player. I mean, that's somebody who I, I would think to to some extent might be a pretty might be a pretty tough get. So how how did you how did you get to Neil deGrasse Tyson? So it's basically part of just grinding for so many years. I'm on terrestrial radio as well as internet radio, and have a reputation of interviewing celebrities all the time, from Brett Favre. Uh, to just to, to different stars all the time. Every week it's new people. And basically I got the pitch. Hey, are you interested in interviewing? I'm sure. Great. And that's it. 
I get I get these pitches in my email box all the time. And it's like mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, Bill Rancic, uh, remember him from yeah, the first the Apprentice, Apprentice. The he's original coming, Apprentice. Yeah, he's coming on in a couple of weeks. So and that was just from a straight email. So you just never know uh, the different guests that I have of celebrities. I just got to figure out the the whole list of celebrities I've interviewed. How to really come up with a list? Isn't that crazy, Steve? I'm just I'm a nut job when it comes to loving to do radio uh, and and TV and just I just love it's my favorite thing in the world to do and I see how passionate podcasters are and that's why I love club pod but this is just me I just mm-hmm. love to talk to people and I'm sure you do too that's why you love podcasting as well yeah yeah for sure man but people have got to be just sitting there kind of scratching their heads going okay that's that's all well and good for you man but like what about me if I just have sort of an average and I hate to use the term but you know just kind of average Joe Jane podcast not you know crazy numbers I'm not showing up on the charts what, how, how do I land somebody like like a Neil deGrasse Tyson or or you know a Brett Favre or somebody of that nature? I mean, I'm not going to say that. I think Rancic could be a pretty easy get. You know, just got to probably ask that guy. But like Brett Favre is an example. That that's a pretty good get too, man. What what do you say to folks who are who are struggling to try to figure out how to get those you know really higher level guests on their shows? I just I really believe it's just ask, reach out bring something to the table that makes them want to know, Hey, I really want them to interview, interview me and really look at your specific portfolio of of work and what, who you've interviewed and say to yourself, okay, I'm going to send out, I'm going to get to their agent. I'm going to get to their publicist. I'm going to message them on Facebook and not give up till I hear the word. No. And a lot of times they're going to say, yes, how I booked Jeff Timmons was so simple. All I did was reach out on Facebook, sent a message on Facebook, became friends with them on Facebook and asked him, Hey, you want to come on my show? And it's funny. We kind of did not connect later to another time and bam, uh, it, it, it happened. And I just said, well, this is a perfect timing because of club pod. And that was it that happened. And they reached out and said, sure, we'll, we'll do the interview. And then that's all. And once you get a couple guests that are well known, more and more come. And then you've developed relationships with other publicists and other publicists send you different people. And it just it's it's it just becomes a different effect, and it's really about branding your podcast too, Steve, so that they see you and they search you and they see that there's nothing stagnant and you're out there always doing stuff, and then they're going to say yes because ultimately now all the time I talk to publicists, they're like, do you know any other shows as well that you can get my client on? Because the traditional media is dead, and they really look at podcasting differently than they did, let's say, four or five years ago. Uh, I think Clubhouse and all these others could kill radio. It's not going to kill podcasting because we all listen to radio just to deal with things. But it's not taking a huge hit. I think it helps. I think podcastings help bring back radio. Ratings, I don't look at any of that stuff. So I really, I honestly have no idea what the radio folks are seeing in terms of whether or not podcasts have really made a, a you know a huge dent. I, I was, I'll put it this way, I was really surprised that um, uh, that Sirius XM renewed uh, Howard Stern's contract at, at at the number that they did. That they did. I mean, I, that was that was that was kind of surprising because the first deal that they did was such a huge deal, and then they renewed at another number, and I was just kind of like, oh my god, because like I didn't, I, I don't have access to the numbers, but I didn't think that Satellite, as an example, was doing well enough to be able to throw that kind of money back at Stern. Like I thought it was a, a real big risk the first time they did it. Yeah. 
I would like to take a look at those numbers and have that conversation, but I've talked to people in radio that say, we're not dead, we're not done, it's not over. It's just another way. People love to listen to stuff that's interesting. So if radio's doing a good job in certain ways and people always will like sports shows or po- political shows and they'll listen to them and they'll choose when to use podcasting, it's just more and more opportunities for you to choose what you like but it just happens that to reinvention radio now here's your host steve olsher all righty welcome to another edition here of reinvention radio hanging out live here on clubhouse with the family at club pod and specifically my brother from another mother Neil Haley, what is going on, my friend? Good having you here. I love it. I love it. I wanted you to be part of this and the idea of bringing interesting, very interesting celebrities to co-host with me. And our guest, the first one, wow. And again, I look at it like the days of the boy band, and, and, and I hope that our guest does not get upset when you bring out boy band, but we have an amazing guest uh, lined up today that's on stage yeah. with us. Yeah, and I mean, look, let's let's jump straight into it without further ado. No reason to to wait here. Jeff Timmons is hanging out with us, and uh, and Jeff, man, it's really really great having you here. And uh, and I got to tell you, man, I, um, I I know there were a lot of ladies who were uh, who were really excited about having you here as well. Do you still, do you still get catcalls when you walk down the street? <laughs> well, you know, look, I I don't know if I'd call them cat calls or something else but you know <laughs> it is nice to be uh, uh still kicking it around this many years later guys thanks so much for having me and and congrats on your success and it, it's uh it's a it's a real honor to be you know uh, a part of the show and in this forum as well i mean this is a new forum for me of course with all the emerging different platforms and technology out there uh you know you, you jump from one to the other and this, this clubhouse forum seems to be really interesting and cool so thanks again yeah man so give us uh, give us a sense of where you're at in the world right now. Are you like literally physically? Are you still in LA in that in that area, or where are you at physically? Uh, you know, look, I've lived in Las Vegas, uh, outside of Las Vegas, about 20 minutes outside of the Strip for 10 years. I I love it here. I mean, I've lived in New York. I'm from Ohio, right. uh, in the Midwest, and and lived in New York, lived in LA for many years, in Southern Cal for many years, moved to Vegas, and and I just I absolutely love it here. You know, I, I spend a lot of time in L.A. Not as much now, obviously, because of, of the pandemic. But yeah. was spending a lot of time in L.A. pretty much flying in every week. It, but, you know, I, I don't mind doing that at all. I really enjoy the city of Las Vegas, the people here. And it's, it's so much different uh, than people think. You know, they, they think of the, you know, Vegas and the bright lights and the strip. But there's a lot more that goes along with uh, the culture in Las Vegas. You know what, Jeff, when I think about Vegas in different ways is Again, all the great performers. Do you like that being in that atmosphere that you can hang out with a lot of people that you hung out with when you were touring in your career? Yeah, you know, I love it. And Neil, when I first got here, it wasn't like that at all. You know, Vegas used to have that rep- reputation that this is where you go when you, you know, your career's over. You know, when you're on your last legs. And I got, I came here and I, and I was, you know, part of, you know, I hosted the Chippendales, and I was reluctant to do that because I thought, wow, people are going to think, you know, I'm, I'm a stripper now and but, you know, I came and saw the show. It was a it was a well put together show. It's a Vegas show. It's a production. And I was asked to host it. My wife was like, you should do it. It's going to be really fun. And it gives us something to do. I, you know, I, I had a pretty steady gig doing music out of my house and doing some other stuff, you know, for television placements and, and things of that nature. But and I had been out of the spotlight for, for a while. And she said, go do it. It'll be fun. And I hosted the show. I did that dance <laughs> in the show. Uh, I wouldn't dream of it after seeing what these guys look like. Right. Compared to the way I, I, I look. But. Um, you know, 
infused some pop music into it, fell in love with Vegas. And what I did notice was, you know, they treat you like a king here when you're an artist or a celebrity. The audience was not an, you know, an old, really older audience. It was a contemporary young audience. Um, and, you know, it, it's such a, just a beautiful atmosphere. And I thought, man, you know, look, I had toured for so many years. Uh, you know, there's something about Vegas that's really endearing. It's kind of like a small town. Uh, a, lot, a lot of culture with regards to the food. And, you know, I was like, wow, I, I, people got to know about this. Because when my colleagues and my peers find out about this, they're going to come here and they're going to want to stay because the tour essentially comes to you. You don't have to go on tour. And I wrote an article. Uh, Robin Leach was a, a dear friend of mine. He's since passed. And uh, he was really great to me when I got here. And he, I wrote a guest column in, I, I think it was either the Re Review Journal or The Sun where he worked that, that was just, you know, raving about Las Vegas. And, and, and when people find out what a cool place it is and that you, can, you don't have to travel and you can make money and you can, you know, have a good nightlife, but you can also have a family and live in a nice place in a suburb outside, it, it's going to be over. And sure enough, you know, then came Brittany and Backstreet and J-Lo and Ricky Martin and and Gwen and Christina. And so it, it's now become, you know, sort of in vogue to, to have a Vegas uh, a residency and be a part of it here. So I, I've been lucky and fortunate enough to have been, been a part of that. Yeah. It's a really interesting story too, man, because, you know, when you think about it coming from where you came from and then making it to the height of your profession and, you know, people can argue all day long about, you know, 98 degrees was this or was that, but one of the things that 98 degrees was for sure, without question was noticed and was seen and was heard. And so there are so many musical artists out there who never, ever, ever, ever get heard. And so I, I, what I'd love for you to do is shed some light on, on what that journey was like, because how does, how does a kid, you know, coming from where you came from, get to the point of, of literally being center stage, top hit, I mean, running with, this, I mean, like you guys were at the top of the game and so many people will never get to that point. So I just really want to try to understand a little bit more about the journey and shed some light for, for others on, on what that looked like. And man, there's got to be some stories. Oh, yeah. I, there's never a shortage of stories. <laughs> some you can tell, some you can't. <laughs> um, but but uh, look, it, you know, we had a, a sort of a uh, a very interesting journey. I started the group with I'm from a very small town in Ohio, and it was primary, primarily a sports town, football town. It's known for that. And, uh, you know, I was involved in the arts. Arts always came easy to me, but I wanted to be a football player. <laughs> and it just wasn't in the cards for obvious reasons. But, uh, you know, singing and music always came naturally to me, but it was not cool where I was from, you know. So, uh, just oddly at a party, some girls wanted us to sing and it, and I was with some old friends in college and, uh, you know, I parted out a, a four part harmony version of My Girl, uh, which is an old Temptation song, of course. And we did an acapella version of it. And, and whether it was good or not, I don't know to this day, but I thought it was at the time because of the reaction we got. And but to me, I thought, you know, having a background in music, uh, I thought it sounded really surprisingly good. For guys that weren't supposed to be singers and i just started the group that way migrated to la because none of this existed there was no youtube there was no instagram facebook uh you know you couldn't do things on social media to get discovered you had to literally physically pick up and go to the places uh you know where you could try to make a dent and, and you know uh, try to live your dream and those places for music were new york and primarily la went and just, to la just, 
Hold on. So Jeff, just so I'm clear, you went out, you went out solo or did you guys go out? I mean, as the, as the group that we know it to be now? Well, no, it wasn't the same group of guys. It was, it was some guys I went to college with at the time. Um, and we called ourselves something else. We were called just us. Uh, we had a couple of different names, but we, we drove to LA cross country and, uh, my, we, we lived in LA for a little bit and used to sing and drop the hat and sing acapella and try to get attention and get noticed. And we were really getting noticed by a lot of notables in the industry. <laughs> you know, we would, we would sing outside of clubs. We sang to get into the tonight show uh, with Jay Leno was the host at the time. And, um, you know, sang to get on Disney's lot, uh, to get discovered, uh, sang on. So Third just, Street just Prana. so we're clear here, just so we're clear, you're saying you and the fellas literally just stood outside of wherever the places were that you were trying to get into. And like you said, just kind of put out the hat and started singing. That's how, that's how committed you guys wow, were to the process. That's right. Yeah. That's right. We, that's what we did. And, and we literally did drop the hat. We dropped the hat and tried to make money. Now we, whatever we would make, we would spend on beer, of course, because we had no responsibilities. <laughs> and we, you know, we had this, uh, we had this tree in our apartment. We called it the money tree. And, you know, we were going to put all the money we made, uh, from dropping the hat on this tree uh, that lasted we put one hundred dollar bill up there and that was gone the next day and and, yeah. and we, it was it was tons of miller light and and all that stuff but yeah, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah well anyway we uh we got discovered doing that we, we were singing acapella the guys i was originally with with it wasn't for them uh they kind of wanted to go back and be part of the uh you know the small town sort of uh environment that we grew up in which i totally respect but i didn't want to give up on it so i started auditioning folks in la uh, I could not find anybody, which in the, in the area that's supposed to be the mecca of talent, <laughs> I, I couldn't find anybody that was either committed enough or, you know, had the right attitude or right work ethic or desire or vision. So it was really hard. It wasn't until I was introduced to another guy from Ohio that was in L.A. as an actor that knew Nick. Uh, and he literally gave me a tape, you know, a tape, you know, audio tape. I don't know if folks know what Are that is. Are we talking is, like a cassette tape? A cassette tape. Cassette yeah. tape. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Got a it. lot of folks don't know what that is anymore, but I, uh, Nick was singing with a, a blues band, a club band, and Justin from our group was in the band with him. Uh, they played horns and did covers. And uh, I, I popped the tape in my cassette player and listened to it. And I fell in love with Nick's voice. I thought he was amazing. I had no idea what he looked like. Uh, there wasn't any place I couldn't go to his Facebook page or oh, wow. Google yeah. him. <laughs> I just had to go with, well, I, ho I hope the guy's good looking. I love his voice. So I called him up and talked to him and convinced him that he should be a part of this. He drove uh, across country and joined me. And that was the first time I saw him is when he, I met him in L.A. Uh, you know, eventually he brought his brother and Justin out. And that's how we started the group. And, and again, singing a cappella and trying to be resourceful and keeping that hustle going. We sang backstage at a boys, the men concert boys, the men were our idols. We wanted to be signed to Motown like them. We wanted to get signed like them, uh, like they did. And so we, we snuck our way backstage and sang, and we got discovered there and eventually got signed to Motown and eventually toured with boys, the men. So it was really like a dream coming into fruition wow. in, a, in a lot ways better than I had imagined it. I've been very, very blessed and fortunate. Now, Jeff, did you think in your own mind, did you think when you, you, you got Nick and and all this that that was going to become this big. Did you, like you said, you were kind of just trying to make it to, as a singer, and then bam, you you are the one that discovered. You were the discovery person. Did you believe that at that time you had something special and it was going to be big? Well, I you know look, I, I I had a feeling the very first time the first guy sang it was going to be big. And again, I, I when we like I was saying in the beginning, I don't know if it really was good or 
where I was just kind of, you know, that sort of ignorance is bliss sort of thing. But there was something special that I felt about it the very first time I did it with did the did, it, did an acapella performance with the, the other guys. And uh, just the way it resonated, just the way people reacted was different than other you know, little groups or doo-wop bands or, you know, four-part choir groups or anything that I'd been a part of before. And I was like, wow, there could be something really here. And Boys the Men was popular at the time. I used to, you know, I would listen to the radio in my hometown in Ohio in the basement, and I heard Boys the Men for the first time on the radio, and I didn't know what that was. And this is back in the day that, you know, you had to wait for it to come on again or call yep, and request yep, it and yeah, wait for I remember hours. that. I, so I heard It's So Hard to Say Goodbye on the radio in my basement one o'clock in the morning and literally called the radio station all night wanting them to play that again, you know? And so uh, for us to go backstage and sing for them and or sing, you know, at their concert in LA, you know, a year later, and then, you know, 15 years later touring with them, uh, I wouldn't have imagined it. To answer your question, I, I felt like it would be, I had a feeling that it would be good and big, and again, uh, certainly the guys in 98 Degrees, a different level of talent. You know, once once we got, you know, those guys together, it was really special. And uh, and I thought it would be big and I hoped it would be and I dreamed it would be. And it did get big. But some of the things you could, were you would never imagine. I would never imagine, you know, flying all over the world and standing in front of Michael Jackson and performing for him and getting to perform with Mariah Carey and Steve, and the list goes on of just just wonderful things, you know, impacting people and them telling us their song changed their lives and and getting to go all over the world. And I, I just, I didn't, I had never experienced that. So I didn't know what to expect with something like that. Yeah. So some of the stuff was uh, much larger and more profound than I had ever envisioned it being. Yeah. Take, and take us through the money, man. How, how does it work in the industry? So you show up, you start singing, you start getting some interest, you sneak backstage, boys to men likes you. They go, yeah, let me, let me connect you with this. I assume they connected you with their people, their people at that point. Well, Boys the Men weren't even the people that we connected with. Someone snatched us up before we could get to Boys the Men. There was there was a there was a singer named Montel Jordan who who sang a song called "This Is How We Do It." Yeah, he for was sure. Very popular back then. His road oh, manager yeah. kind of stopped us from going and connecting with Boys the Men backstage. He kind of he kind of uh, you know took us aside and said he wanted to 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 manage us and you know look we were so excited just to be backstage right we were uh, someone wants to manage us we took his card and then he was our first uh, experience in the management area. So, so what did that deal look like? Like, I'm just curious how that works. I'm sure it's a little bit different now, but, but then how, how did that work? Like, what did that first deal look like for you? Because obviously your first deal is probably always going to be your worst deal, which is why you probably want to sign a long-term deal. But what, what, like, can you give us any insight, like what a first well, deal all, looked all like for you at that point? Aren't, aren't very favorable then. And they aren't very favorable <laughs> now either. Now you have a, more opportunities at your disposal. So if you're a lot more savvy and you can become educated in the business a lot easier now because there are more tools at your disposal. Uh, there's more out there to be discovered. There are more people talking about it overtly uh, than when we could do it. But, you know, the, the deal, the record deals are favorable to the labels. I mean, I'll just leave it at that. I mean, we, we had enough success that we were able to make a good living and still are able to live off that. But certainly, there were other people that made lots and lots more of <laughs> yeah. the of the pie than we did. So, did you have guidance, Jeff, when this happened? When you got when you got no, we didn't. Yeah, yeah. It, it, traditionally, you don't as a new artist, and especially if you're not with 
you know, someone that's a veteran in the business, our, our first time manager, he was a road manager that became a regular manager. So he wasn't really educated and, and well-versed in the, in the way deals were done. He said he was, but he wasn't, but, and then, you know, look, when we were getting all that attention, he was getting a lot of attention. So, you know, rather than rock the boat, you know, he was going to go along for the ride uh, anyway and, and, and collect information and contacts and, you know, sort of look out, uh, you know, for his best interests as well. And certainly you can understand why somebody would do that if they weren't familiar with how the business works. But no, there wasn't anybody, you, you know, it was, it was education by, you know, by, by experience. And, you know, now many years later, I'm able to use all of those experiences to help me tailor my career in businesses and, and other things. So, you know, at the time it's very painful, <laughs> but, you know, many years later, I'm thankful for the experience and grateful to have had that unique experience that I've, I've been able to learn and become more educated and more sort of in tune with what goes on uh, in, in the area of the business side of it, because it is the entertainment business, the, the music business. So uh, it's important to know and learn and under, get an understanding of those things. Yeah. So did you take and, and, and just trying to figure out like the, the best way to word this without being, you know, like, let me just say it. So did you take those early experiences then and were you able to leverage those into something more beneficial for me, for you for, from a career standpoint moving forward? Or did you kind of sign away too much at that point? So you, you it's kind of hard to dig yourself out of that hole. Well, look, fortunately for us, we were so popular that we generated enough money that we're, we are, we're all set. We're good. Even if the deals okay. were bad, if that's yeah. what you're asking. Yes. Yeah. We, we didn't, yeah. we, none of us were in the poorhouse. Uh, Steve, I, we, we were able, we were able to be blessed and fortunate enough to have made so much, uh, generated so much, uh, you know, gross income for everybody involved that even our small sliver of the pie is good enough for us to live on. And as far as experiences, you know, you take that and you parlay those experiences into be becoming a better businessman. And, mm -hmm. and you can all, you know, there, there is, a, you know, there is something to be said for being a good businessman and being fair. You don't have to be a cutthroat businessman. You don't have to, you know, screw people out of deals. You can give everybody their due, what they deserve, and there's still enough left to go around, you know? So, so many of the people I've encountered in the business want to take all of it. Right. And, and don't, you know, there, it's almost like a, it, you know, a, a sort of a, a game within a game, right? That they have wow, to have all yeah. of it and you get none of it. But, you know, there are ways to have success and uh, appreciate the, the business side of things and give people what they're due. There's plenty to go around if you do it the right way. Yeah. So ah, I got to ask this, man. I mean, you're a good looking guy. You're still a good looking guy. You were a good looking guy then. You're still a good looking guy now. There must have been, how hard was it? I mean, to be honest, right, with everything that was going on there for you, I mean, you must have just people, girls, just throwing themselves left, right, and center at you. Like, how crazy did it get? What's the craziest did it get as far as all that goes? It got probably crazier than you can imagine. So if, sure. if your craziest entourage episode, it's probably their crazier story. No, 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 yeah. man. You can't. You, could, you couldn't have lived the entourage life, really. Give us one story then. Other, oh, come uh, on, yeah. man. Come on, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you well, look, like I said, if you've seen Entourage, you've seen it is a crazy experience. So, you know, obviously, when you start, when you're a young guy in college, you start a group like this, you, you do it for superficial reasons. You want to be famous, you want to be rich, and you want to meet girls. And so, as young guys, those were kind of our thing. But once you get into the business side of things, and you're really, you know, it's a job, right? You have to work every day, you've got to get out there and grind, you, you don't have any time to really sleep. And you, you know, it's a very competitive business, especially if you're comps and people that 
they're comparing you to are like the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC that are having extraordinary amounts of success. So you want to focus and, and try your hardest and cultivate your career. And so while that stuff was great in the beginning, exciting and fun, you know, at the end of the day, you still have to get up and go to the go to work, right? You have to be fresh and be ready to go and you got to perform and you have to do interviews and you have to travel and you have to make sure you're treating everybody with respect and you're taking care of people and you're reading contracts and it, it goes on and on and on, right? And again, blessed to have, have that opportunity to be that busy, but you also want to be a professional, right? You want to make sure you're doing it. So while that stuff is cool and excited, exciting and it's, you know, it's at your disposal, after about the first three months of it, 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 it wasn't that exciting anymore. You're like, okay, this is great. None of it's real. It's so crazy and, and so hyperbolic that you start to go, all right, what is real? You know, I have to find out what's real. And really you just have to, you have to look internally. You have to take a deep breath and you have to meditate on everything and take some time to get quiet and, and really evaluate what's real and what's not. It's what's important, what's not. So, you know, that stuff's fun. And again, it can, you know, use your imagination as crazy as you want it to be. I, I promise you I have a crazier story. <laughs> Uh, oh, and, 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 and it is, a, it is a, an extraordinary lifestyle and you can easily buy into it and live it. And it's a very self-destructive lifestyle as well. Or you can say, oh, cool. I got to experience this. I did see this. This was pretty crazy. And then you go, all right, let's get back to work. How can we get better as a group? How can we stay relevant? How can we keep ourselves working? And how can we make a better product and better uh, uh, environment for our fans? And so that's what was important to us. It's a, it's a boring answer <laughs> for yeah. you guys probably, but that's, no, it's it's, good. you know, you want to be the best that you can at this, at your podcast, right? You want to continue to grow it. This is your niche. You, it's a very, you know, this is a very competitive space. So, you know, great. It's, you know, the celebrity stuff's great and, and it does have its, you know, so, certainly has its perks. But if you, if you have the desire to create music and you see the impact it makes with fans and it's giving you a living and it ultimately gives your family a living, then you want to make sure you you preserve it, the, your integrity with that, and you have, you know, you sort of, uh, uh, you kind of have, you see it as sacred for yourself. So, you know, and it's a very competitive business, and you're lucky to do it. The chances of selling 10 million records are one in 55 million. So that's wow. that, those are slim odds, and you know, you should should really respect that and have reverence toward that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as you just out of curiosity, it's like as you look back on it, were there? Do you think there were unfair comparisons to you and NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and all that, or do you think that the kind of the rising tide helped to to lift all of you? Was it in in hindsight? Was there any were you, were you treated unfairly at all? Do you think in that in that conversation? Absolutely not. I, you know, look, I'm honored to be affiliated with groups that sold hundreds of millions of records and toward the world, <laughs> you know, and won yeah. tons of awards, yeah, right? Definitely. You know, but getting back to what we're talking about, you know. Uh, you know, five years of our junior here, I was, uh, you know, in my basement dreaming about it. Right. And, and to be compared with these groups that are, you know, legendary, you know, they're going to be known forever in the business, right. Whatever genre you want to consider their music to be they're you know, you, you, you intro to, but Hey, whatever it is, you, you got noticed. Right. So, uh, to be noticed, not just noticed compared to groups that are, you know, legendary groups, some of the highest selling groups of all time, I'm all for it. At the time, we did consider ourselves a little bit different uh, in that, you know, we didn't put ourselves together. Our music slanted a little more R&B. So we thought there were some differences, but yeah. certainly didn't shy away from the comparison yeah, at definitely. all. We were honored. We knew those guys. I We're friends with all of them to, to this day, even closer than ever. And, you know, they're going through a journey that's not that easy, too. I, again, nobody's asking anybody for any sympathy. We are very blessed to get to do 
uh, this for a living to had this unique experience, but it is not as easy as everybody thinks. So you have yeah. this sort of relatable uh, experience with these guys that gives you an extra amount of respect for them, even you know, outside of them as people and outside of their talent. So just in, in one, I'll let you jump in here one second, Neil, but be honest. Okay. So I, I understand the, you know, the, the NSYNC, the Backstreet Boys and all that, but once they threw you in the same bucket as, as color me bad, that's where you had to draw the line, right? Color Me Bad is probably the most vocally talented group out of all of them. I've <laughs> so, interviewed no, someone from Color Me Bad, Steve. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, please. And in fact, Color Me Bad, you know, Brian Abrams is probably considered the best singer out of all these groups. Okay. Yeah. So, and I toured with Brian and, and Brian used to blow me off the stage with his voice. I, I was like, I can't go. He used to go on before me and I'm like, I can't go on after that guy. So, so please compare us to Color Me Bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so I'm definitely going to jump into that with the, the whole boy band craze. When do you think it finally died? If you look at the years till it finally kind of, disappeared you know there's well right so at first we weren't we weren't even considered a boy band we were considered a vocal group and it wasn't until you know backstreet got really popular and nsync did and we came back we went overseas and boy band was a wildly popular term in the uk and southeast asia we were like boy band what's that they keep calling us a boy band and this was right when we first had had some hits on the radio and that that term over there had a lot of respect to it. That means you're a really popular group. In the U.S., it's corny. The U.S. is a little, little backward compared to the rest of the world. Uh, I, you know, it was interesting to think that the that everybody follows the trends of the U.S., but the U.S. is late on the trends. <laughs> you know, EDM, dance music, that stuff was the rage over there. Boy bands were the rage over there beforehand, and then the U.S. catches up. U.S. is the number one market in the world, so. Everybody wants to obviously break in the U.S., but we were fortunate enough to break a lot of different places. But, um, you know, getting to your question, the boy band era sort of died when I think, you know, uh, first of all, uh, the media loved that era. That's when CDs were really, really selling a lot. Uh, A lot of the Internet started getting developed. So there was an explosion of sales and listenership that hadn't existed before. Obviously, this is before YouTube and Internet radio and all the things, you know, social media, all those things exist. And so in traditional forums, pop music was bigger than ever in that era in, 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 in traditional forms. So they all loved it. But what happened was some of the older guys got tired of the genre. And I really think what tipped it was, and certainly it's not the group O-Town because those guys are amazing and friends of ours. Right. We toured with them. But when the making of the band came out, it became a national TV show. I think that that's when, you know, that's right when it was starting to end that era. And I just think that's sort of like the the show itself, not the guys, but the premise of the show itself was so different than any of us had experienced that I think it's sort of like might have made people think that that's how everybody got to where they were getting in in the genre. So I think that, you know, 2002, 2003 was probably the real big end of it. And then certainly it resurfaced. Uh, I'd say 2011, and it, it it's not going to go away because all of those, you know, teen teenage girls, mostly teenage girls, and you know, some of them even younger. We did a lot of stuff with Nickelodeon and Disney. You know, they're they're all reliving that that era in their life, which is an innocent era where they could go out and have fun. The world has now changed since then, and you know, it, there's a certain affinity they they have for that era, and it's not necessarily because of us and the music, but that sort of time period in their life, and so they are now at a point where they get to use this experience to get with people that they used to be, be able to become friends with and share the experience with. So, you know, that part of it's never, never going to go away. I don't think. Yeah. 
Let's do this, man. Let's uh, let's bring people up to speed uh, in terms of what you're doing now, and uh, just out of respect for your time, and don't want to don't want to take too much of it. I know it's a little bit uh, late already here, so let me let me just give you the opportunity to bring us up to speed on what what are you doing now? What does somebody do after having that sort of career and being known as you were known? What what are you doing now? Well, you know, outside of like panhandling, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I, I I just don't know what I'm going to do, Steve. Uh, maybe I'll start a podcast and. On Clubhouse. Um, yeah, well, you no, are starting a podcast, a and I know that's coming up, and I want to hear about that as well. But okay. what else are you doing? That's got to be a minor piece of it. Yeah, no, it, it is. We, you know, I've been very fortunate. I, you know, like I said, when we got off the road, I was always pretty prolific in the studio, and you know, found my way around there pretty well. So I was able to survive and support my family outside of what we made in the group, and continue my career as a songwriter and producer for other people and for television shows. And you know, I've got some great partners. Uh, that I work with right now, and we we're landing and and creating a bunch of uh, you know television shows for streaming services and documentaries, and we're big in the tech space. We've got three or four really cool emerging tech things that marry tech and entertainment that they're going to be coming to the forefront very shortly. Of course, you know, try to dabble in a bunch of other stuff. Ninety Eight Degrees has is back and has been touring probably stronger than we ever have in the last you know seven years. Uh, consistently selling out shows all over the place. We've been really lucky to, to have an engaged fan base that's still there for us and supporting us, and we love it. They're more excited than ever. So, that, you know, I'm busier now than I actually was uh, back in the early 2000s. So I've been very fortunate. And, you know, I, I mentioned you guys, I'm doing a podcast. I know you guys are experts in that space and have had a ton of success. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be releasing that with some really great partners soon. Uh, you know, one of the things they're talking about doing is building a studio here and having a proper release. But, who knows? We we have a bunch of inter- interviews in the can. We, we we just might start releasing those sooner than later. Nice. That's great. See, that's great. Talk about the podcast because that's again what this room's all about. Uh, Steve is podcasting in so many ways. Um, what? How are you going to prepare yourself to do a podcast, Jeff? Like, what? Well, what, it's what, easy. Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty easy. I mean, you just sit there and you have conversations. I know a lot of people have been overthinking. What's what's the niche? What's the what's the tagline? You know, look, obviously everybody wants to be the next Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan doesn't have a structured way uh, of doing his podcast. He gets on and talks about whatever with, you know, pretty, pretty established A-list people that are very from different walks of life. And they just talk about life and the stuff that they're promoting. Right. So uh, I'm not doing anything different than that. I should be, you know, a hundredth of, uh, uh, you know, if I get a hundredth of the fan base that, that Joe Rogan has, I'll be really happy. But it's just something fun to do. I'm always one. We've talked about my journey and how it's been different. And, you know, it's not really a cookie cutter way to have success. And again, some of the odd ways that people you know go about having success, I find that fascinating. So certainly we're going to talk about that. And we're just going to talk about topics of the day, too. You know, and we have. And so you learn about people and their journeys that you might not expected the traditional way that you see on an interview on Kimmel or, uh, you know, a morning show like, uh, you know, Ryan and Kelly that, you know, asks they're, they're fantastic <laughs> at what they do, but they ask traditionally the same questions over and over again. We're just trying to keep it fresh. Yeah, that's awesome. And so folks can keep an eye on out uh, for what, what is the name? Do you, do you have the name? Cause it sounds like you kind of dance a little bit around it, but what, uh, what, what is the name of it going to be? We don't have the name yet. Yeah, We're still trying to figure yeah. that out. All right. Yeah. All right. We'll have to keep an eye out for it, man. All right. Let me do this. Let me just, I, I would be remiss if I didn't give a couple of people the, at least the opportunity to ask a question if they wanted to ask a question. So let me just go ahead here and keep that hand open. All right, Kim. Yeah. Come on up and uh, maybe we'll take one more after Kim uh, as well. Kim, what's your, what's your question for Jeff? Hi guys. Uh, my question is what do you think about hosting meeting greets with fans once concerts start back up 
will it still happen six feet apart or do you uh, think that it's better maybe another time around just to be safe for you guys well look i love the meet and greets i mean we uh we i mean i think that's outside of you know the performances and the concerts have a lot of uh, great things about them and benefits for get for of getting up on stage. The meet and greets to me are the best part of the show because you get to give people a, a little bit of a unique experience and it, it changes it up for us too. The reactions are always different. The questions are always different. So I'm all for it. Look, when everybody feels safe to go back and do it, I want it to go back just the way it was. We used to do really cool meet and greets. We had this, this thing where we would even do meet and greets in our dressing room for a limited amount of fans where they can just hang out with us there and, and make it really special and unique. So uh, you know, the sooner we can get back to those and, and give people a better experience than the run of the mill stand in front of the step and repeat and shake hands and, you know, thank you. Bye. That's always great, too. But, you know, we, we try to make it a, the experience a little bit more memorable. Yeah, that's awesome. Join us here in Club Pod if you're not already a member or a follower. And uh, Jeff, be sure to follow me and be follow, follow Neil before you go just so we can keep in touch and hopefully bring you back up on some additional stages as well. Anything to add before we uh, before we wrap, Jeff? No, I just want to thank you guys for having me. Continued success. And uh, yeah, I, I look forward to seeing what's next from you guys. You guys are great. Thank you so much for your time. Neil Haley here. Lensec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K-12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensex Enterprise Level Video Management Software, Perspective EMS, is a browser-based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 interactive features in a thin client application that is designed to provide real-time situational awareness. Access control and other advanced features are integrated into a unified security platform, creating an ability to track behavior and movement while monitoring the live or recorded video. For more information, please visit Lensec.com. And now back to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Rob Roselli's show. I'm excited to welcome to program Rob Roselli. Rob, what's going on? How are you? Hey, Neil. How you doing? Thanks for having me again. Now, we con constantly talk about the news and what's happening in the news, but we really want to focus our attention and specifically enough, we talk, we've kind of been ne not negative, but understanding where our country's gone and how the changes have happened. But what do you have for us today, Rob? Well, let me just say this. Let me remind everybody, you know, in case we, we lose time here and, and I mean, just don't forget the website, boxofsunglasses.com, and God's simple salvation plan. As I stress over and over again, that the Bible is the core of the quote conspiracy. And I don't think there's anything that really saves this country at this point. We're on a we're on an accelerating downhill, uh, careening towards disaster. I guess in this nation, between everything that we've been talking about. So I stress that. I don't think we stop it at this point. So I think people just kind of grab 
grab a hold and 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 hold on is basically what I'm trying to say. And with that, now as far as this past week, the events we had the situation down in Texas where you know global warming caused a massive ice and snow storms down in Texas and people were unprepared and the green energy system that they had in place failed. Okay. Because all the, somebody didn't mention that maybe, you know, Texas could freeze in a worst case scenario. So whoever designed those windmills didn't, and, and the energy grid didn't account for that. So that's just indicative of the lack of competence we have in this whole green energy scam. And a scam is what it is, Neil. And if you'd like, what I'm going to post, what's going to post on my website um, is a link that I wrote up several years ago called The Inconvenient Scientific Method. Okay. And basically what that is, is I go through Al Gore's book, An Inconvenient Truth, basically with a fine-tooth comb and looking at it analytically. And I come to the overall conclusion that it's nothing but a, but a scam. The whole global warming, global cooling, climate change is perhaps the second biggest scam in world history. And I say second biggest because the biggest scam, as indicated on my evolution debates, is the theory of evolution. I mean, evolution blows global warming, global cooling, climate change out of the water as far as I'm concerned, as far as the scientific scam. But that's not to say that Al Gore and the whole global warming uh, whole global warming movement isn't a scam in and of itself but if you if you don't mind i mean i'll go through just kind of a general overview of the link if that's if i think that's relevant what yeah, do you think? I, I think so i think so. so basically now again this is going to post on my website uh i got to get it up there hopefully in the next day or so but I go to, you know, Al Gore's, I go to his postulate, which basically is that mankind industrialization, industrialization of the nation is what's causing, is throwing more CO2 in the atmosphere. And that's what's causing this, this scenario called global warming. Now, people may remember, I mean, I remember in grade school, they were saying it would cause another ice age. Basically, you know, all these pollutants and CO2 blocking the sun would cause another ice age. And of course, now they change it to global warming. You know, the polar ice caps are going to melt, yada, yada, yada. And we're going to have global warming. And then they, now they just change it to climate change. So basically, what it is, is that all bases are covered. So no matter what happens with the weather, by calling it climate change, they can just say, well, you see, the reason we had snow and, and, and ice down in Texas is because of climate change, because the climate changed from what it normally is. I mean, it's just it's just a scam. So in other words, their initial assumption that mankind is the is evil and mankind is a cancer on the earth, and I'm quoting the Club of Rome there, which is tied in with the United Nations, the Club of Rome, they call mankind a cancer on the earth. So it's just an excuse for population control. And how do they implement that population control but through things like abortion, uh, the AIDS vaccine, the COVID vaccine, COVID itself. So in other words, these are genocidal maniacs as I, as I document in an American genocidal complex. 
anyway, getting back on point. So if you go through Al Gore's book, you, you know, remember the famous hockey stick graph, Neil? Yes. Remember that one? Okay, which is, which has basically been debunked. I mean, the, the guy, I think his name was Michael Mann, the, the scientist so-called from Penn State University. I mean, his data was all manipulated, but let's just say, let's just take that graph for, for what it is. I found a similar graph in Nature Magazine. And what I found by using a graph with actual numbers on it, I mean, Al, Al Gore's graphs, are, they're very vague. He doesn't really document where he gets them from and and they they're very light on on actually on actually numerical values. So what I did is I took this graph from Nature magazine, and what I found was that there was a very weak correlation between climate change, between changing temperatures and CO2. And actually, what I found in many instances is that the CO2, the temperature change comes first, and then the CO2 increases. Uh, and one of the main reasons is because the activity of sun and sunspots drives is really what drives the Earth's temperature. And when the Earth's temperature increases, the solubility of carbon dioxide and water, especially the ocean, decreases. So as the temperature increases, more carbon dioxide comes out of comes out of solution in the oceans. And that's why carbon dioxide kind of lags lags temperature increases, which is the exact opposite of what they, there's that word they, what they've been telling us is that, you know, carbon dioxide and your carbon footprint is what's driving global temperature. And then there's, you know, and then continuing, there's other graphs, you know, and greenhouse gases, 95% uh, of greenhouse gases are from water vapor, okay? And only 3.6% is actually CO2. And of that, that 3.6%, Neil, only 3.4% is human. So in other words, it's fractions of a percent of fractions of a percent of what's called global warming gases or carbon dioxide is actually comes, is contributed from, from mankind when you, when you take into account water vapor and, and other, other chemicals in the atmosphere. So basically, um, you know, and, and that's just an overview of the first couple of sections so people can read about that. So basically what I'm saying is it's a scientific scam of epic proportions, but unfortunately it's driving our policy of our politicians um, and will continue to do so if people like Bill Gates out there running around saying, you know, we have to go, we have to go to meatless. We have to eat, start eating synthetic meats and getting rid of cows because part of the reason was, they're saying flatulence of cows is, is contributing to global warming, so too much meat is no good. So you have Bill Gates, who is now the largest owner of farmland in the United States, by the way, which is really should really disturb people because wow. the eugenics-minded maniac is the largest owner of farmland in the United States. I think that should really concern people. Um, but anyway, just getting back to the rest of the link, you know, I talk about computer modeling. And how complex it actually is, even in the most simple scenarios. So trying to model the Earth's atmosphere, especially 100 years out, and, and with the accuracy that Al Gore pretends that the United Nations has, so the United Nations IPCC, Intercontinental Panel of Cosmic Clowns, I like to call them. I, I think it's, in, I forget what it's called, International Intergovernment Panel on Climate Change. 
IPCC is what it's called. I call it the Intercontinental Panel of Cosmic Clowns. But anyway, that's the United Nations. And they're, and they're trying to tell us that temperatures are going to increase. And they're going into fractions of a degree, okay, which is absolutely ridiculous. If you just watch, just watch your local weather forecast. I mean, when's the last time somebody said it's going to be, you know, 45.1 degrees in Central Park, for instance, this weekend, you'd, you'd laugh at them. They say, right. they, they, even the, the weather, just a week out, they say it's, you know, in the mid-40s or low to mid-40s for the next seven days. And that's as best as they can do with their computer modeling that they have. So how do we, how are we supposed to believe that the United Nations has these magic computer models that can predict things how to a tenth, a tenth of a degree you know, 10, 20, 50, 100 years out. It, it's ridiculous. Their, their models are, they're a joke, okay? You can't, you can't accurately model that level of accuracy as complex as the atmosphere. And when you find out that they don't include things like water vapor and, and the sun in their models, then, then it becomes very easy to see. They're, they're, their models are written so that whatever you input, like mankind's contribution of, of carbon dioxide to the atmosphere, you know, you get the you get the prepackaged answer that you're looking for. So the models are a scam. And then and then continuing, the whole thing with the sea level rise, I mean the Arctic and the polar and the Antarctic, you know, the polar ice caps are melting. And from what I can see, Al Gore does not account for buoyancy. So in other words, most of the polar ice caps in the Arctic at least is floating ice, which means if they melt, that the water level should actually decrease. I don't think he accounts for that. But even with the land-based ice, and I go through all these calculations, even with the land-based ice, if it all melted, like Al Gore is claiming, which is another scam in and of itself, that you'd, you'd have numbers of astronomical numbers of sea level rise, but Al Gore doesn't. He doesn't cite, there's no citation for where his, he's getting his numbers from for the amount of sea level rise that, you know, for example, in Miami or, or places like that. Okay. And then his graphs, many of his graphs are, are, are just mathematically incorrect. Okay, and I go through that towards the end of the, towards the end of the link. So overall, and this is, this is a 20 page link and I just kind of tried to summarize it in, in five to 10 minutes, but and people, people, you're welcome to read it. As I said, it'll, it'll post. If it's not there the next day, now it'll be there in the next day or so. And it's called an inconvenient scientific message. But people need to realize that this is the science behind what's driving the policy of many of our politicians with this carbon neutral and, and carbon credits and all this other stuff and and population control is is an actual scam. So it's really scary stuff, Neil, that science this bad yes. is, is propagated as, as legitimate. And a, and a guy like a charlatan like Al Gore can run around in, in his private jet and Bill Gates and his private jets and John Kerry and his private jet can run around telling the rest of us not to drive our cars. It's, it's absolutely, it would be funny if it wasn't so sad and so scary as to what's going to be driving these people. I mean, we're all going to be eating synthetic meat and 
and, and insects here in the not too distant future because Bill Gates wants to control the population of the world. I mean, I, I've seen the videos, he's on record saying, you know, carbon dioxide times the amount of the population is what's driving this whole global warming thing. You can't really control the carbon dioxide production. So the only way you control global warming is by controlling the population. I mean, these, these people, like I said, these people are genocidal maniacs. And unfortunately, they're, they're running the country right, and the world right now. And I'm not sure, you know, other countries like Russia are going to, how much longer they're going to stand for this, these maniacs. Right. Uh, Russia, and why, that why kind of segues into other subjects. Why do you think Russia's not going to stand for it? Well, they're, they're, not in, they're not into eugenics. They're not into population control. I mean, you have the United States taking screwing up the world food markets and the world oil markets. I mean, we're, we're going to take all our farmland off land. I mean, and that's what I'm guessing is what Bill Gates is going to do. So you're upsetting the world. You know, the breadbasket of the world is going to be taken offline. So you're going to have mass starvation around the world. And I just don't think that they're going to, well, things like the Paris Climate Accord. I mean, I don't know what their stance is on that, but you know, of course, we'd win and join that thing right away. I mean, Trump pulled us out, fortunately, and now Joe Biden put us right back in, and unfortunately, but just by taking, and the world oil markets are, are all up in, you know, with, with what's happened in Texas, if that happens again, I mean, it really upset the world oil market. So it, it's upsetting a lot of legitimate uh, markets around the world, and I just don't think that other countries are going to put up with this. I mean, I certainly, if I was a leader of another country, I certainly wouldn't put up with it. But anyway, I just don't know how they're going to try and get all these countries, the world, the countries of the world to cooperate in something like the Paris Climate Accords. I mean, I just went through a whole link saying what a scam this is, and it's it's not it's not that. Look, I'm I'm no I'm no doctorate i'm no doctorate level scientist or anything like that and i went through this pretty quickly and if you just go through it a little you just dig into it a little bit you find out what a scam it is so i can't believe that the other other leaders around the world don't know what a scam this is and they're not going to want to get involved with this and it's going to create a lot of conflict i think you know how that's all going to manifest itself i do not know but it's just we're being we're being scammed. We're being we're being euthanized. I mean, people. That's that's what this boils down to. Is that it's just it, it's it's genocide, and they they're using a scam science of a bunch of charlatans to to justify it, and it's really scary. Is what's going on right now, and these right. people are in control, unfortunately. I understand it just keeps going worse to worse. But you predicted this. Boxsunglasses.com for more information. Rob, God's simple salvation. And uh, we'll talk again next week. All right, Neil. Sounds good. All right. God bless, Bob. Uh, Rob, take care. God bless. All right. Celebrity slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download, free to play.
Yeah, baby! What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more! Download Celebrity Slots today!